welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 15th of March 2021 and this is episode 199. Today's programme is the second of three programmes I've recorded with Stephen L. Harris about his research into American Army units New York area that served during the Great War. I talked to Stephen about his recent book, Duty, Honour, Privilege, that looks at the New York Silk Stocking Regiment and how it broke the Hindenburg Line in 1918. This book is published by Potomac Books. Stephen spoke to me over the interweb from his home in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. Stephen, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Yes, Tom. Uh, I am a journalist and a freelance uh, writer. Uh, I started out uh, on a newspaper in Connecticut, a weekly newspaper, and, and worked my way up. And eventually I got one of the great jobs uh, in corporate America. I was the editor of the General Electric Corporate Magazine, and I was able to uh, cover the Jack Welch Revolution, as you may know. He was one of the most uh, revered or hated CEOs in the country back in the 1980s and early 90s. But uh, he was quite a dynamic figure, and I was thrilled uh, to be uh, the editor of the magazine and to cover his revolution. Uh, But then I left to write a book on the Olympics, and I wrote a book for the U.S. Olympic team called 100 Golden Olympians, which honored in 1996 the 100 greatest American Olympic champions uh, as part of the 100th anniversary of the modern Olympic Games. And when I finished that, I found all these letters that my great uncle had written from the Western Front. Uh, And I started reading them and I said, by golly, there's a story here. So I researched uh, his regiment, which was the old 7th Regiment out of New York City and wrote uh, my first book of my National Guard trilogy of New York City. Stephen, so why is this area into the Silk Stocking Regiment uh, important to you? It's important because my great uncle was a member of the old 7th Regiment uh, during World War One. He he was a well-known cartoonist and magazine illustrator, and uh, after the war, he illustrated more than 350 stories for the legendary Saturday Evening Post and a like number for another popular magazine at the time, Collier. And then in 1937, he started the comic strip, Abby and Slat, with uh, Al Cap, and Al Cap famous for creating the comic strip Little Ab. Uh, and I knew my uncle very well. He lived out in Great Neck, Long Island, New York, and I used to go out. To, I grew up in Connecticut, and I used to drive out to his studio, and uh, We'd talk about his days when he first came to New York City uh, from Kansas City. And uh, when he died, I found all these letters he had written home to his mother, my great-grandmother, of his of his uh, experiences in World War One. And I read them all. And I said to myself, by golly, there's a book here. And so that's what uh, got me away from writing about the Olympics, writing about World War One. So I read, so I did all the research on the 7th Regiment and found out that they, they helped break the uh, center of the Hindenburg Line fighting with the Australians uh, because the, the uh, division that they were in, the 27th New York Division, was assigned to the British Fourth Army and not part of the uh, American Expeditionary. And so a lot of people didn't know much about the 7th Regiment action in, in World War One, and I, uh, I think my book uh, helped to, to uh, set that story straight. But when they attacked the center of the Hindenburg Line, they lost more men killed on a single day of fighting than any infantry regiment in U.S. history. They lost 
lost almost 400 men, and four of those men received the Congressional Medal of Honor. No other regiment received that many medals of honor a single day. Now, before we get into the detail of New York's Silk Stocking Regiment, its origins and history, and its service in the Great War, why was it called the Silk Stocking Regiment? Because it was made up of the wealthy class of New York City. The armory that they built, they built it in 1880 on the Upper East Side, which where all the wealthy people in New York City at that time, and even to this day, live. They call it the Upper East Side, the wealthy people, and that's where most old came. That's where they built their armory. Some of the names, like Vanderbilt's in the regiment, Rockefeller in the regiment, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's brother, Ellie's in the regiment, the Rhinelanders, which owned most of New York City back in the old days, in the regiment. They were all these wealthy people. They built that armory out of their own money. They didn't take a single penny from the state or federal government. And today, that armory still stands up on 6th Avenue, and it is one of the grandest pieces of architecture in all of New York City. And you walk into that armory and you see these company rooms built by all these uh, famous uh, architects, include, including Louis Comfort Tiffany, who's known for his lamp. He has a room that he designed all for himself. And it's just, it's just to go into that armory. It's amazing. And so that's how they got built. And did, um, do, I mean, this sounds very similar to what we would call in Britain class core units in the territorial force, lots of very posh uh, middle class units. And did the um, sort of posh lads from the Upper East Side actually serve as enlisted men as well as officers? That's correct. Uh, they One of the hardest things that they had to do was when they were ordered to send over 350 men down to the fighting 69th. A lot of these soldiers didn't want to go because they looked at the 69th, you know, as lower class. They're Irish, you know. Uh, you know, we're upper class. We're Episcopalian. Uh, we're, we're not Catholic. We don't want to go down there. Uh, but they went and they, they served their country well and they all became uh, very fond, obviously, of 69th Regiment. But a lot of these guys, you know, they'd be a millionaire and they'd be a private. And be a guy who wasn't a millionaire to be a, a major. And certainly some British class corps units um, started supplying large numbers of officers to other battalions within the in the British Expeditionary Force. Did this happen with the Silk Stocking uh, Battalion, sorry, Silk Stocking Regiment? A absolutely. It, it provided more office to other units throughout the United States than any other regiment, any other unit in, in the United States, including West Point, the uh, military academy. They even had provided more officers than West Point, which was amazing. And a lot of them went on uh, heroes, uh, you know, the regiments that they were assigned to. Now, in 1917, um, the unit is mobilised and called into federal services, and it's redesignated the 107th Infantry Regiment. But I suggest we call it the 7th, just to save uh, confusion. And it serves in France as part of the 27th Division. Can you tell us what it did in France before it um, was involved in assaulting the Hindenburg Line in October 1918? Well, it didn't get over uh, over to France till uh, the spring you know, late in 1918. So uh, unlike the, the, a lot of the other American units, they got to the war late. Uh, and the, the uh, Pershing, the, the commanding officer of the American force, didn't know what to do. So they were assigned along with the 30th Division, which is called the Old Hickory Division, out of North Carolina and Tennessee to uh, 4th British Army. And the 27th Division was assigned to the Australian under Gen General John Monash. Uh, so they got there and they went into to, uh, training, training training just outside of Mount Kemmel. And Mount 
Kemmel before the uh, the Americans got there had been a pretty fiery place for the British. Uh, you know, they had a lot of fighting to do with that area. Uh, it calmed down a little bit, but still a lot of activity going on, firefights, so forth. And they went into the trenches, and that was their first uh, uh, experience, I guess, of warfare. And then from there, they went up to uh, the Hindenburg Line, got there in uh, uh, October, or not October, I'm sorry, August. And they uh, were getting ready to attack center of the Hindenburg Line. They had no experience at all in fighting, and they were ordered to open up the way for the Australians, and they would charge the Hindenburg Line, and they did this in September uh, 29th, and I, I just want to let you know something about the Hindenburg Line when they got there. Uh, the Hindenburg Line actually was the name the British gave, uh, and uh, it, the construction of the Hindenburg Line began around 1916 in a stretch from Swiss all the way to North Sea, and to build it, the Germans used an army of labor, 12,000 Germans, 50,000 prisoners of war, mostly rushed. The trenches were dug on the reserve side slope so it protect the soldiers' artillery. Uh, when, <clears throat> where the British would attack, would had to traverse, traverse several trenches before it got to the main line. The entire ground was thickly covered with barbed wire. Machine gun nests were placed strategically so the attackers would be led right into the deadly path of these machine guns. So it was really bad, but for the Americans and for the Australians as well, they had to attack the Quint Canal Tunnel, and it was 6,000 feet long. Inside was underground, 600 feet underground. It housed a fleet division of Germans. Tunnels led into the battleground where the Germans pop up behind attacking soldiers, shoot them from behind. And so when the when the silk-stocking soldiers attacked the St. Quint Canal, it had to charge through the barbed wire, get shot from behind, yet they succeeded in opening the way Australians finished the job. And as I said, more men were killed on a single day than any other than that regiment than any other regiment. Just... And can you give us an indication of the casualties that um, the uh, regiment suffered? They suffered about 1,200 men. And as I said, uh, and, you know, uh, 365 guys killed, another 700, 800 wounded uh, just in that one day. And the regiment came back from the war had had, had lost about 2,000 men uh, killed and wounded and prisoners of war. It was one of the most uh, highest um, amount of, of, uh, of wounded uh, and casualties in any regiment in the U.S. during the war. And so what, what happened to the unit after it had um, broken the, um, the Hindenburg line in sort of October and November 1918? Well, then it went to a place called Lee Cadillac, and there it, it battled again. Uh, not as bloody, obviously, Hindenburg Line, but it was another. It was the last engagement of the of the of the regiment of the 27th Division, for that matter. And then the war ended, and they stayed there. And they came back in March. They came back to the United States, March 1919, and they marched up Fifth Avenue. And they were the first uh, American soldiers to return home to the United States. And their march up Fifth Avenue to this day stands the greatest military parade in New York. City history. My great grandfather was there, came to Kansas City, and he had his hands in his pocket, and the crowd was so thick he couldn't take his hands out of pocket. Millions of people were there. They came from all the surrounding suburbs where a lot of the soldiers had come from. And if you wanted to go into the suburbs around New York City, there were ghost towns on this day, March, I think it was March 19, uh, 1919, and it was just the most incredible parade New York ever had. And uh, then when they got up to Fifth Avenue to where their armory was, up on 66th the band came out, played them home to their armor, and that was the end of the war for them. And is it sorry? And how would you rate their their performance as a combat formation, maybe against other units that you've examined, notably the Fighting 69th and the 369th Infantry Regiment? 
all three of them, uh, I think, did themselves proud. And don't forget a lot of them, especially, and we'll get into this at some point, the, the 369, all black car on the flight. They had no training at all uh, when they went over to France. And, uh, but they acquitted themselves so well that uh, uh, they got that uh, nom de guerre, the Harlem Hill, because of the way they fought. And all three regs came back uh, as great, I think, great infantry uh, veterans. And how, how are they regarded today in, in America? I mean, how does America regard the First World War? <laughs> Not very well. Uh, it, it's kind of like the Forgotten War. Uh, America has you know, obviously fought in a number of wars, but the two wars that are, they call them Forgotten Wars are World War One and the Korean War. Uh, World War Two, everybody knows everything that you never want to know about World War Two, and of course uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, the Civil War still stands as obviously the war in, in, in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. Finally, Stephen, where can people learn more about your book and also your work? Well, uh, I do have a website. People can go to my website. It's uh, com, all lowercase, and Stephen is spelt with a P-H. And uh, my book can be bought at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and uh, the, the University of Nebraska Press. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>